I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. A new union curious faction of conservatism is growing in the run-up to the 2024 election. Leading the charge is a group of otherwise solidly conservative legislators, you'll recognize their names, and policy wonks who have the ear of venerable conservative think tanks, you'll recognize those names too, who insist that if a conservative candidate is going to win, it must reimagine 70, he or she must reimagine 75 years of union distrust and take seriously the idea that the right has become the party of the working man or woman. <laughs> and the working man or woman, they reason, might just need unions. CRC's labor policy expert, Mike Watson, disagrees, and he, along with our colleague, Ken Braun, joins the podcast today to discuss this new statism from the right. Hi, guys. How you doing? Not bad. How are you? Pretty, pretty good. So, Mike, just to start, um, this uh, idea, I know it's been percolating in your head for a while, and you've recently published like a five-parter on our website, on the Capital Research Center web- website. Um, which is capitalresearch.org. Um, and you're basically, I'm going to let you explain it, but you're basically taking issue with this idea that um, conservatives should be embracing sort of big labor union policy. Um, and they're doing it in some interesting and sort of high profile ways. So take it away and tell us what you wrote. Oh, thanks, Sarah. The So what prompted this Obviously, we've been watching it longer than right now, but the the Heritage Foundation convenes every uh, every four years, at least when there is a uh, a desire or the term the Twenty Second Amendment compels a change in the presidential administration. Uh, a uh, uh, convenes a convenes a coalition of of conservative institutions to develop a sort of a manifesto, but I mean that in terms of like a British government manifesto, like if we get elected, this is what we're going to do. Um, not, you know, manifesto is in crazy ideological screed. Um, the, to be sort of a guidebook for, okay, you know, you are the conservative new president and the conservative new administration. Here's all the stuff you should do. Uh, you know, there are however many agencies and however many cabinet departments and they all need people and they all have to do stuff and here's the stuff you should do. And so the uh, most recent version of that coalition convening is called Project 2025 uh, and it just put out uh, a few, I I guess a month ago now, uh, its manifesto document, uh, Mandate for Leadership. And the labor policy chapter or the labor, it's, it's organized by agencies. So it's the labor department and related agencies. So the labor board, uh, the federal labor relations authority, uh, you know, all the, the, uh, government worker, um, uh, labor relations, uh, institutions, uh, and obviously the labor department. And it was influenced strongly by this faction of conservatives, Sarah, that you were discussing, who are much more open to labor unionism, 
who are much more open to various other policies that would empower labor unions uh, than any conservative should be. Okay, so yeah, so I know that uh, you have a particular, Mike, you have a particular um, sort of a, um, affinity for one of these, <laughs> that's the wrong word, but affinity for one of these uh, groups uh, called, thank you, uh, called American Compass. And, you know, we're not here to like slam anybody. These are, you know, we can be, <laughs> Ken's shaking his head. Well, maybe we are. These can be disagreed upon. I think they should be. We should have some debate about it. But Ken, go ahead. Tell us what you think. I know you're, you tend to be a little more animated about these things. So have at it. Well, M Mike's show, but he, yeah, American Compass uh, uh, is, um, as I'm sure we, Mike will be able to get into, uh, funded by, uh, um, among many, uh, left-center, well, really stridently left-center in a lot of cases, foundations. Uh, Pierre Omidyar, I uh, believe he's the eBay founder. Um, I mean, it, one, of, one of the arguably... Um, noble-ish things that Omidyar's network tried to do was they founded The Intercept as a uh, kind of left-of-center investigative uh, news source. Well, it unfortunately lapsed pretty quickly into just a left propaganda source, ended up um, splitting ways with uh, its one of its co-founders, uh, Glenn Greenwald, over the... Yeah, he, he used to... Amidiar used to be a pretty independent lefty, and then around 2016, he kind of joined mm -hmm. the DNC blob, uh, for lack of a for lack of a better word. I mean, you know, he used to fund uh, Henry, some of Henry Olson's work. As far as I know, he doesn't anymore. Uh, during the Trump administration, he funded the Bill Crystal groups. The uh, what's the guy's name? Ran for Senate. Uh, ran for president, uh, yeah, then yeah. ran for Senate, mm. Evan McMullen. Which uh, turned out just Evan to McMullen, be, The Evan know. McMullen groups. Uh, yeah, mm. that, were, that were just, you know, you're rent a conservative to say whatever liberals want. Uh, and then the other foundation that funds American Compass to an even greater degree than Amidiar uh, is the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, uh, which is one of these, you know, big old liberal uh, foundations Um they fund uh, a lot of abortion rights stuff. They fund all sorts of, you know, uh, socialist curious, socialist light, uh, economic advocacy, uh, and both. And the other, and the important thing is that both the Amidiar money and the Hewlett money are coming from programs within those foundations to supersede free market. Reimagine it. Isn't that what Amidiar read about? Yeah, yeah. One of them is, one of them is, I think it's reimagine as Amidiar. Oh, I forget what Hewlett officially calls it, but yeah, it, it's. Right. Well, let me, let me ask you. Oh, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the, the, the reimagining in the Omidyar network that you quoted in your, uh, in your um, uh, essay that you posted this week was something to the effect of, you know, racism, the, the legacy of racism and slavery are, are impossible to eradicate from the American system. Yeah, I can, it was, I can, it was like you, I can read you the quote. Permanent I can, revolution. I can read you the quote. This was, this was, so there, there's, yeah, there, there's second, there, there are five pillars of the, of the reimagining capitalism, of the call to reimagine capitalism. 
Uh, the second is build an explicitly anti-racist and inclusive economy. Uh, and the ideological affirmation it opens with is, quote, America cannot divorce itself from its legacy of human exploitation, anti-blackness, and slavery. It is deeply embedded in our economy. As a result, the current economic system exacerbates many of the inequities that rip at the fabric of our society and well-being of our people, racism, classism, and sexism, to name a few. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the that's a manifesto of critical race. That's, where the, gonna, so that's yeah. where the that's the ideology of where the money is coming from for this. And um, and the push and the, the proposals right. they're the proposals they're pushing for is more or less a permanent at our throats revolution. There's no way to get around this, and we're just going to institutionalize these factors into our. So there's so there's no doubt that that's going to inform and influence some of the you know conservatives who think that they can they can sort of go you know maybe because I because I kind this of is, well, let me just say this I kind of think this is this is who they're this is who they're aligning right. there's no center I mean, there's no center in this left that we're talking about here okay so it's, and I do see this happening a lot with conservatives um, I see it m- more with libertarians than than hard conservatives hard right conservatives which is kind of what's interesting about this issue because one of those uh, think tanks I mentioned at the top is Heritage Foundation. And I know they're not really incubating this, but they allowed it to be included in, uh, you know, this document that you that you write about. Um, They've come out and said, well, it's kind of nuanced. They're not necessarily pushing it. They just want to have the debate, that kind of thing. But but one thing I hear from people um, and there's no doubt that this is what, you know, the money and and Midyar and that kind of ideology is how these conservatives are aligning themselves. But there are people on the right who say that unions they at one time did perform a decent service for the worker. You write a lot in your piece about the shift to public sector unions. So talk to me about how, like, it seems to me that the time for conservatives to embrace unions would have been some time ago when private sector unions were still doing somewhat relatively good things. Now might not be the time. What do you think of that? Well, I'll start. I'll start just by going back to the history. So, in in the in the New Deal, basically modern American labor relations starts in the New Deal. Uh, FDR comes to power, giant majorities, big mandate to remake the American economy uh, because the Depression has happened and everyone is poor. And the one of the the key pieces of legislation that that period has left us with is the National Labor Relations Act. And the important uh, the important parts for this current conversation of that is it requires employers, if a majority of the workers in the work in the relevant workforce have decided uh, through one of two channels that they want to be represented by a union, that union can demand the right to uh, negotiate a contract for all the workers in the relevant unit. And the employer must bargain with them. Uh, the, the employer can't say, no, I, I choose not to. Uh, that's not allowed. And just, just and, how did, so you mentioned that everyone was poor. There was also the Industrial Revolution and there were terrible working conditions and things like that. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 go, you know, that goes back sort of even, even mm-hmm. farther. But the, the, you know, the Depression has happened. So you get this really left, you know, left wing, certainly by the standards of its day, government comes in, passes the National Labor Relations Act. After the after World War II, so World War II kind of puts a uh, a break on all labor disputes because nobody wants to be responsible for 
you know, getting American GIs killed because you didn't build the requisite number of airplanes. Interesting um, how like that kind of like reality put a stop to this. Like it's, it's such a first it, world problem, isn't it? It's like collective <laughs> bargaining notion. Um, so, so there's a, you know, there's a no strike pledge. You know, everybody more or less behaves. World War II ends. No strike pledge goes away. Big wave of strikes. Biggest in American history. Uh, estimates I've read up to one in 10 workers went on strike at some point. Uh, and a lot of the goals were pretty radical. Uh, Walter Ruther, who was leader of the UAW, uh, at least the UAW bargaining with GM, you know, he wanted the right to basically set car prices uh, or to have substantial influence on setting car prices. Ken looks uh, disgusting. GM <laughs> uh, as he should be. GM said no. Uh, UAW went on a big strike. UAW ultimately loses, at least on that question. Uh you know they they get a raise. You know they get a, they get a raise in line with what other companies were getting. Um, other you know manufac big manufacturing firms at the time were getting, but they don't get this right to set car prices. Um, and enough strikes were happening that even Harry Truman, liberal guy, New Deal guy, uh, you know the railroad workers are going to go on strike. Truman flatly tells them, "If you do this, I am drafting you all into the army." Uh, and so they don't, um, the, uh, or they, or like they may have been on strike for a couple of days, but they, they basically Truman pulled a rain. Uh, huh? He's like, I will fire uh, you. He, 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 he pretty much threatened him with that. And, uh, and as a result of that, there's also, you know, other things going on. There's big inflation. Uh, people can't get meat. Um, you know, Wage and price controls from the war are going away. The economies, you know, all the men who were fighting are now coming back and going back into civilian life. Uh, so the economy's kind of messed up. And as a result, the Republicans, for the first time since uh, FDR took office, uh, win Congress. And they win Congress with pretty big margins. And they have allies, at least on certain issues, from Southern Democrats who are, who are willing to override uh, Truman, some of Truman's vetoes. And one of the vetoes they override is the Taft-Hartley Act, which basically puts a bunch, which essentially sets three, uh, you know, for our, for our purposes, sets three pillars of labor relations policy that conservatives have supported for the past 75 years. Uh, the first is that union membership should be voluntary. Uh, in Within the confines of the National Labor Relations Act, uh, the best way, you know, the sort of the best way that, you know, conservatives have developed to do that uh, is a right to work law, which 26 states, sorry, Ken, uh, uh, have that means that while a union can demand the right, the, the power to represent you in negotiations, they can't make you pay for it. Um. The second pillar is we've given unions all this authority. We've in the 24 states and D.C. that have no right to work law. We've essentially given them the power to tax, you know, the power to compel workers to pay to pay union fees or lose their job. Um, so we're going to subject their operations to government scrutiny. You know, they, the 
that we're going to place obligations on unions for giving them the power to make employers come to the negotiating table and to, uh, in, in many cases, compel workers to pay dues. And the third thing is we are going to restrict the amount of damage that union work stoppages can do to the outside, can do to the outside world. Uh, you know, you can't just, you know, we're not going to let unions strike whoever they want, whenever they want, for any reason. And so this is what have this is what conservatives have been supporting for seventy five years. Yes. And how does this new and I and I want Ken to jump in here too. I don't want to you know just be you and I talking the whole time. But how does this new sort of approach change that? Well, a lot of the so you know looking at the policies that this project twenty twenty five endorses and the mandate. On pillar two, subjecting to union, subjecting subjecting unions to government scrutiny, it's pretty good. You know, wants to bring back and codify. There were rules that were proposed during the Trump administration that either never got into force or that Biden has now rescinded. That would be good. Um, you know, some of the uh, joint employer and independent franchising related labor rules that uh, the Biden administration or the Biden National Labor Relations Board have brought have brought back. Uh, they want those to be to be taken away and to be codified as they have been for for decades. Um, but there's a re- there are two really big errors, and both of them sort of fall more in that union volunteerism uh, that are, are really concerning for union volunteerism. Uh, the first is that they. The Project 2025 doesn't explicitly call for the repeal of the Davis-Bacon Act, which is a federal law that sets certain rules uh, that requires union wages, union level wages to be paid on certain on government construction projects, essentially. Uh, This gives an unfair advantage to unionized contractors. Uh, The second and worse, in my opinion, uh, policy would be to affirmatively adopt what they call the team act, which functionally is a European works council, uh, which is a, not technically a union. Although if you look at the European experience, unions have really strong influence in these things. Um, and this is Marco Rubio's act. This is Mar- right? Marco Rubio proposed it in the last con in the last Congress. Um, that we like Marco Rubio. We're just, this is such an interesting situation that some of the conservative side of the aisle. And I want Ken's thoughts on why that he thinks this is happening, but go ahead, Mike. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, I was just going to mention, I was just going to mention, you know, where I think Rubio is coming from. Uh, Cause he's written and he has said that he's really worried about basically ESG. He's really worried about woke capitalism. So he wants, I mean, in some cases, even old fashioned labor unions, uh, but these works councils, Employee involvement organizations, they call them in the legislation, but they're works councils, uh, to be an alternative center of power and that that will protect conservatives from woke HR nonsense. No reason to believe that unions will actually do that because uh, the unions are really woke. I mean, can't, I mean, yeah, can't, I, I think that comes out in your piece is that the, the, there, there, that's Rubio's sort of desire is to protect the workers from, and I think Orrin Cass at American Compass too, to protect the workers from this sort of woke management. But as you're saying, who's going to enforce that? The, the labor unions agree with that, right? Yeah. 
So, Ken, why do you think this is happening? Uh, why do you think otherwise um, solidly conservative leaders? And these aren't sort of backbenchers. These are, you know, names in the conservative movement. Why are they going in this direction? I mean, you're up in Michigan, too. We should say that. That's why Mike mentioned the right to work states and, and what what kind of, you know, what, what unions can do to industries such as automobile manufacturing and things like that. Um, so, so I would say this just a putting the nicest gloss on it these folks are just terribly mistaken about the level of success they've been having um and mike munchens in his in his essay that uh the counterpoint to this would be industrial midwest senator ron johnson of wisconsin who supports the employee uh rights act or with a Employee Rights Act. Right. It's yep. it's not it's not right to work, but it's on those similar on those three sort of Taft Hartley principles. I believe one of the provisions of that would require recertification votes of unions on a more regular basis. Would it not? Past past versions have. Okay. Uh, I think they introduced the one for this Congress. This Congress does not. Well, it should have it in there because most of these unions um, certified their their existence. Uh, when the great grandfathers or grandfathers of the current generation of workers worked there. So, you know, it was the epitome of a one man, one vote, one time uh, sort of democracy. And um, most of these unions were voted in before the Chinese communist party existed. And, and now we're, we're, we're locking in today's workers to having these unions in their workplace because of a decision made in a, a functionally different planet as far as the economy was back then. Um, so I think that that's an example of a smart way to go with it. Um, the, the less misguided uh, or not misguided at all uh, right center politician direction. Um, but I mean, I couldn't help, but I mean, th- this whole thing, I mean, public sector unionization has been growing over this period, as you pointed out, but private sector unions, has been declining. I think it's 96% of the private sector 94. workforce, 94, 94, 90, of the, 94 is 94 non-union, right? 94% of us all go to work, um, you know, every day with a private contract between ourselves and our employer, not a union contract. I mean, the Janus law is, you know, putting a dent now in the public sector unionization's power. This Taft Hartley, I, it was like an, I would analogize it to the Cold War, which is was going on when Taft was was being born when Taft Hartley was being born. There was this policy. This Taft Hartley was a policy of Cold War containment of unions. It's been working marvelously, and 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 there all of a sudden, it's it's like it's 1987. The Soviet Union is on the ropes, and you know, let's say a think tank, we'll call it uh, American Weather Vane or whatever, shows up and says, you know, the real problem here is that we haven't, you know, what we really need right now is to move the Berlin Wall over to the, you know, the eastern shore of the English Channel to get things done, like, to, to, to really solve the problems that we're facing here. No, we're winning. We need to I mean, tear the wall down. I mean, I mean, I mean can, can, you, can you joke, but, like, there is, I think, an element of... It's been working so well for our for conservatives' purposes for seventy five years that conservatives have forgotten why they why why they had why we had to get to to Taft Hartley and yeah because be, that's because, what's interesting to because me, because, because very why. well because uh you know in in terms of that it's 
you know, very few American workers are going to be put in a position where they have to join a union or pay fees to a union or, and or, or lose their job. Uh, you know, um, unions have been subject to regulation by the government and have been subject to investigation by Ken's old, by Ken's old friends at the FBI, um, which has Ken's favorite which, which has which has really put a crimp into uh, union corruption, and uh, you know, with some exceptions from the public sector, uh, you know, think of the teachers' union's contemptible refusal to return to work in person during COVID the odds that you're going to be stranded by a labor strike in the United States aren't very high because Taft-Hartley well, let works. Me, <laughs> let me address that for a second then. <clears throat> um, I, I sort of, so as we know, I, I believe we all three know this. I'm pretty sure we do. Um, the Democrats plan, um, the progressives plan is to target young unmarried women. That's part of their plan anyway. A lot of those are teachers, that's a, that's a large part of the teaching profession. I wonder, I hate to sound this cynical, but I wonder if this is really just about politics and they're trying to, teachers unions still exist. That's one of the biggest, right? That's still one of the biggest yep. unions. So um, two of the biggest, I think. So um, are they just trying to say, hey, we get you teachers because teachers like their unions. They enjoy them. Even teachers who vote Republican like their unions. So, and I know that anecdotally just from people I know. So um, are they just trying to say, hey, we get you, uh, you can trust conservatives, we don't want to upend everything you know. Do you think, it sounds I, cynical, maybe it's the I, right thing, but it sounds like it might just be about politics. I, I think it's just condescending. I, I think that they there's this belief that because the teachers like their unions, that they can't somehow hold two thoughts in their head at the same time and vote. And not the I mean, teachers maybe not the best example because a lot of them and there are right leaning Republican voting teachers of course but um, trade unions you know carpenters electricians you know unionized car much more um, Republican uh, leaning votes coming out of that auto workers will, will do that and I think that there's just a condescension there that says well just because they like their union geez they're just going to be lost to us if we don't somehow do these things rather than say you know let them stay in their union we'll put our other policies up and and you know maybe they won't agree with us on our union stuff but they're going to agree with us on these other things and we can create a governing coalition. You mean people are I, I think complex? it's I think it's I think it's a, a, a misunderstanding of some recent political dynamics. Yep, absolutely. Uh, that basically these people, you know, some people some people's brains kind of ossified on November tenth, twenty sixteen. That you know the the future is <clears throat> Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and you know we don't have to worry about the Sun Belt. And those are big union states, so we got to, you know, support, you know, unions and union-like institutions like these works councils. Well, there's just not evidence in the subsequent elections of that. I mean, you know, one of uh, American Compass's big allies in Congress is J.D. Vance, senator from Ohio. You know, he runs for election and wins by, I want to say it was like five points. I think he got 52%. You know, meanwhile, Mike DeWine, who is the most generic, milquetoast Republican you know, they they grow them in in uh, they grow up grow up from the corn in 1970. Put them in the state legislature, and they go run the run what the Romans called the cursus honorum. All, all the offices, uh, 
you know, and then and then they become, you know, a, a you know, become governor in their in their old age and he got 63% or 62% or something. You know, and and again, he's just a normal Republican. Um, you know, uh can you mention uh the differing electoral fortune of uh of Senator Johnson, uh who is not a dissenter in any way from the Taft-Hartley consensus. The you know, yeah, you have some guys who are just straight who are straight up moderates, you know, like congressmen from, you know, it's Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York. And, and Okay, and New so York they're State. not winning. They're not winning on this issue. So why? That's what I keep coming back to. Why? I, again, I don't want to be so cynical to suggest that this is about money. I like some of these organizations that we're talking about that are promoting this. Um, but, you know, I, if it's not a winner for them, uh, which you've just, you actually lay that out very well in your piece as well. Um, it's a sort of a, a left turn away from things that were working. Uh, what is happening? Is it a changing demographic? Uh, Rubio's involvement interests me, um, given the sort of rise in uh, Republican votes from the uh, Hispanic community. Um a lot of those people are coming from countries where this kind of stuff is more accepted. I, I mean, don't, I, I don't you know. think it's that. I, th I think it's just a misinterpretation of who the Republican coalition, who the conservative coalition is. That, okay. you know, yes, it's not all, you know, Charles Koch, you know, uh, hardcore ideological libertarians who uh, run single proprietorship businesses. Uh, but there are a you know, most single proprietorship businesses, I would, I would venture, certainly they, the uh, National Federation of Independent Businesses, which is sort of the small business lobby, gives its contributions overwhelmingly to Republicans. Um, but, you know, the, first of all, the union movement itself isn't the, you know, the hard hat guys that I think a lot of these people have in mind. It's a lot more, uh, service service workers at the lower end of the income spectrum and also more female uh you know sarah you were talking about the working man and woman for some of these guys actually it is the working man male it's uh, it's, it's it's not it's more it's more seiu and AFSCME and teacher unions than it is uh ibew electricians and carpenters unions and folks of that nature yeah yeah it, it, it's not guys well, with, still... it's not guys with ladders on top of a truck it's you know, sure. the people, guys who the actually people... do, guys who actually do the work. I mean, you know, I grew up. Uh, I remember the movie Norma Ray from the seventies, right? And that's about how unions come into this manufacturing town. There are bad working conditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you're talking about the guys that are not the face of this movement are the guys who actually are still doing that kind of work where they can get hurt, where they might need somebody to step in and help protect them from, you know, overzealous. Uh, people companies trying to make profits right and, that's and, as, and, as I've, and as i've mentioned before in different circumstances many of those roles like those workplace safety roles have been taken over by the government you know mm -hmm. the the, the union and at union urging you know the unions have put themselves out of business by nationalizing their job mm -hmm. uh 
in a, so in a I still, I still am curious as to why. I, I, I know it's a great, it's a great five parter that you've written, Mike. Everyone should go read it. I'm going to give you both a chance to give some final thoughts, but I still, I still can't sort out why. I just don't understand what, where this is coming from. So it's a question that I'll just have to keep mulling over because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense as you, as you kind of lay out in your piece. Um, you want some final thoughts there, Ken, and then Mike. Um. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I I just think it's, as Mike said, fundamentally a just misguided strategy, which Republicans are, are not immune to, and in fact, step right into quite frequently. Um, the the trade-off that they're pushing here is, is, is just crazy-making. I mean, n- not going after project labor agreements, one of the best allies the Republican Party has had for decades has been the Associated Builders and Contractors, the non-union merit shop um, commercial contractors. Uh, these are small, medium-sized businesses. They provide great jobs. You know, the, all the jobs I just referenced, electricians, carpenters, whatnot. Um, they've been, they're, they're worth 100 heritage foundations. They're worth millions of, of American compass operations and if a Republican Party that can't get rid of, can't keep project elimination of, of prevailing wage uh, mandates in their front and center target list is really um, not one worth having, in my opinion. So uh, I think that this is a terrible mistake on their part. And also, going back to what I was bringing up before, I, if they went after and said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna require certification votes every five eight years, whatever, at every workplace, I don't think a lot of, I, I don't think they would lose a single Republican voting union member if they did that, because what are they going to say? Oh, I don't want to have to vote to recertify my union. Most of them would go, well, yeah, everybody I know would vote to recertify. I'm not worried about this. What's the problem? Um, it would scare some of the more strident unions who are really doing terrible things with their membership dues, and that's what it should do. So I I think the most of the reforms that the Republicans talk about aren't they, they may upset some of their their union voters, but they're not going to upset them so much that they're going to forget that Republicans are good on firearms. They're good on the cultural issues we like. They're good on taxes. They're good on everything else I care about. So I can agree to disagree on this on this one front. I think it's just it's flawed strategy and it's it's elevating it's 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 elevating the union part of that person's life to a place that I don't think the union worker necessarily elevates it to. I think being a union member is a lot less of a deciding factor inside the voting booth than some of these Republicans are making it out to be foolishly so. Okay, so you don't need full capitulation, righties. Uh, Mike, final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think getting back to that question of why, uh, you know, laying aside the the money that's coming in from groups that are inherently host that are explicitly hostile to the free market. Uh, you know, I think your your two big big issues are the we we discussed the uh, the electoral analysis one the the mis what I think is a misguided electoral analysis that you know Donald Trump in twenty sixteen so fundamentally changed the party coalitions that. You know, Republicans should be the 
uh, the party of the lunch pail and the Democrats should be the party of the proprietor. And that's Donald Trump in 2016. So fundamentally changed the electoral coalitions that, you know, Republicans are the party of the lunch pail now and Democrats are the party of the proprietor. And that's just not borne out by evidence. It's not borne out by the political donations of the organized labor, which remain overwhelmingly democratic. It's not borne out by the uh, political donations of the small business associations we've discussed and FIB, Associated, uh, Associated Builders and Contractors that Ken talked about. Uh, you know, those coalitions are pretty much as they were in, in the age of Mitt Romney. Um, the, but what I, I do think a, a lot of it comes from is the question of woke capitalism and the question of, of, of the broader professional class turn towards really, really wild social liberalism. And here's where I make sort of my, my biggest plea to people who might be considering this sort of policy. Anything you do to empower organized labor, whether, whether today by giving them favors or you know tomorrow by creating works councils and board representatives that are going to be easily captured by unions, you are strengthening your adversary on every issue that you care about. Uh, you know, the same unions that are fighting for economic progressivism are also fighting for, you know, uh, you know, very liberal policies on LGBT. They're fighting for uh, expansive uh, abortion access they're fighting for gun control. Everything that you care about, they are arrayed against you. That's the social justice unionism we've talked about before. It's all there. And anything, any step that is taken to strengthen organized labor strengthens all that whole broader progressive infrastructure through social justice unionism. Okay, that's a great final thought. Um, I want to use this as a... Uh, springboard to um, invite anyone from American Compass to come on <laughs> and debate Mike Watson on this issue. Um, so that's our show. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming on. As usual and as always, you can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, as Mike likes to say, please give us a five-star rating because that really helps us with our SEO and all of that stuff. So um, we'll be back again next week with some other fascinating subject. Um, thanks again for listening. Thank you.